conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and I am joined once again by Nat Brummer. Today we are talking about a couple of X-Men stories. We're talking X-Men Days of Future Past and The Uncanny X-Men number 159, which is a Dracula story. And Nat, you and I are big horror fans. So first, thank you for suggesting this. Oh, uh, my absolute pleasure on that one. <laughs> you know, X-Men is one of those teams that I just haven't had the chance to dive into yet because I feel like there are so many different X-Men titles. When you said X-Men number 159, I actually went to the wrong X-Men first and I was like, oh no, we're still talking uncanny (laughs) X-Men. So then I was like, why would, why would I read a single issue that's in the middle of like a four part story? And then I was like, this isn't the right X-Men title. That is why. (laughs) So (laughs) there's so many issues that you can read when it comes to X-Men because like I was just saying, you have the uncanny X-Men, then you have the regular X-Men title and you've had like X-Men Red, X-Men Gold and so many little titles and little series to go along with it that I just simply have not been able to figure out like a good starting point. Mm -hmm. And I think Days of Future Past, I wouldn't necessarily call it the best starting point, but with, you know, the trade and what Marvel Unlimited suggests, they tell you to read issue 138 to 143 of the Uncanny X-Men, even though technically the Days of Future Past storyline is contained mostly to 141 and 142, but giving it that context and meeting Kitty Pride, I think really helps make this a jumping on point. Yeah, was what's great about X-Men is some of the biggest stories, some of the most famous stories like in its history actually serve as decent jumping on points because yeah. like for Days of Future Past, um you have well one Kitty's still kind of new to the X-Men and new to this world, but also when she travels back into her younger self in the Days of Future Past storyline, it's kind of a reintroduction because we're seeing uh, that world kind of from a totally new vantage point. And like in a story like the Dark Phoenix saga, that was when Kitty was actually introduced. So we had a character who was brand new to all of this, who could get caught up to it along with the reader. So the X-Men's actually pretty neat about that, though it is overwhelming because, like you said, you know, you just listed off like just X-Men yeah. books, and that's not to mention the New Mutants, X-Factor, Excalibur, X-Force, yeah. you know, all of these. It's literally like half the Marvel Universe is X-Books. It really is. Even now, when they did the Powers and House series, and I started diving into that. And I still felt like I was lost because I didn't have a ton of backstory on some of the characters. And, you know, you have other storylines like Dark Phoenix, which happens, I think, just a little bit before Days of Future Past. Yep. Yeah. And it's so overwhelming. You know, I was an editor for a Spider-Man website briefly for a company called Fansided. And I ended up just going back and starting from the beginning. I started with Amazing Fantasy number 15, and then I started with the Amazing Spider-Man series. And 
I feel like that is so hard to recommend because the older comics are so dense. And even with Days of Future Past, it's a lot more dense than some of the more recent stuff. Not necessarily the Hickman stuff, because Hickman can Mm -hmm. be very dense with a lot of his comics. There's a lot of exposition and things that come along with some of his writing, but this didn't feel too overwhelming. And I think it's because of the fact that with the X-Men, you have so many characters, so there's a lot to cover. So it doesn't bother me as much when there's a little more to read just because you have so many more moving pieces than you do with a Spider-Man comic or something like a solo series for any other character too. And even then, you know, I've read all new Wolverine and old man Logan and some other X-Men storylines that were not X-Men titles. So like you were saying, even just listing off X-Force, those are still team books, but then you have the solo series for some of the characters too. And it's just so expansive that I've kind of stuck with reading, you know, Hulk and Black Widow, Hawkeye by Matt Fraction, (laughs) you know, some of these more contained characters and stories. But what I liked about this and, you know, getting that context before we hit issue 141 is that you get a feel for kind of where everyone stands within the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we were just, you know, it just got me thinking, like, as expansive and massive and like, colossal as the X-Men is, it is wild how many stories that are still so resonant and popular and beloved came out of like this era. I could not imagine doing that, like having that success streak as a writer. Because <laughs> you hold like Days of Future Past and Dark Phoenix up like so highly. And like these are like one right after the other. Like this trade of 138 to 143 starts with an issue that's basically Cyclops um, recapping the entire history of the X-Men, which is really useful. Yes, yeah. Uh, as he basically quits the team, because this is like this is like Gene's like funeral. This is mm-hmm. Dark Phoenix happens, and then basically Days of Future Past kicks off the next issue. These stories were virtually back to back. And the issue, like immediately preceding the Dark Phoenix saga, was like the Proteus storyline, which is another um, not as like you know it hasn't had movie adaptations, but mm-hmm. it was a very highly regarded story in that era as well. So like the hot streak uh, at this time was just wild, and it's almost like this is ushering in a slightly new era for the X Men because you have. Gene's death, you have Scott leaving, and you have the introduction of Kitty Pride at the end of issue 138, and she's showing up at the school. In 139, things get a little wild, and we see an appearance from the Hulk, and you have sort of Alpha Flight, and you have this whole Nightcrawler versus Wendigo in 140, and they're throwing a lot at you, and it's not like we spend all that much time with Kitty getting adjusted. She's just kind of thrown into the mix of things. We see her reaction to the danger room, and then it's just diving right in. And, you know, obviously issues 141 and 142 are the sort of main focus here because it's the actual story. But you have this time in the future where Wolverine, 
Sprite, Storm, and Colossus are the only X-Men left. And Sprite being Kitty, for anyone who is listening and hasn't read this yet, I'm not sure why you would, though, because we're about to spoil even more. And she, like you said, inhabits her younger self with her future self, or her future self's mind, at least. And they're trying to prevent the assassination of the president. So even though this is a good jumping on point too, it throws you right into what the climate was like at the time of the comic being written. And, you know, people get mad when comics get political or get woke, as people say now, but it's like, they've (laughs) always been this way. It's like when people get mad at Stephen King for being political on Twitter. And I'm like, have you not read or watched The Dead Zone? Like, it's right there in your face. (laughs) Yeah, like I can't imagine what you would even think the X-Men is without political context. But yeah, like one thing I just thought of just now, as much as I I've got like notes written down and everything, but one thing that just occurred to me this second is how smart it is to center Kitty at the heart of especially the specific Days of Future Past storyline because This is a brand new character, and we've seen over and over again that people don't always react terribly well to brand new characters. I love the idea of framing her at the center of this thing to show that, especially in this time travel storyline, to show that uh, this brand new character is actually like really important, like cementing her importance to the group, like permanently right out of the gate is a really interesting approach yeah and they toss a ton at the readers for these two issues because you have in the 80s storyline they're going against the brotherhood of evil mutants which includes destiny pyro avalanche mystique and the blob Mm -hmm. and then you have in the future they're going up against sentinels and there's so much happening you can't even really take a breath during these. And I think that's great because I don't love it when it feels like there's filler to try to hit a specific issue count or something. And maybe this happened less or more back in the day because they just let the ongoings run for hundreds of issues. (laughs) But it didn't feel like any of what was included in this trade was filler, except for maybe issue 143, but that still had its purpose with Kitty at the center of the story and her sort of going through this big test and passing it, even though one would think that issues 141 and 142 were a big enough test for her. But I think it's still a very fun look at a new character. And the fact that this is one of the X-Men storylines that still gets talked about so much, obviously, you and I are talking about it, but even in videos and other podcasts, and the fact that it was adapted into a movie, I think just goes to show the staying power that it has. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, there are so many like, reasons to talk about days of future past but i really wanted i really kind of picked this one because i wanted to kind of look at how much was introduced in just these handful of issues Mm -hmm. and how much this small frame of time like fundamentally changed x-men moving forward because there's a lot to talk about obviously was the themes and resonance of uh days of future past which 
I'm sure we'll we'll definitely touch on, but like the fact that in just a small frame of time, especially if we take the other issues kind of in this collection into play, we have like the very casual reveal of Wolverine's name, which I love. Yeah. We have the introduction of Rachel Summers and uh Pyro avalanche mystique essentially being introduced to the x-men title for the first time and then this time travel story which you know so much of entire concept of the x-men and the x-men titles became so time travel focused after this that there's a so much in just this small handful of issues that became like massive and we have obviously kitty being introduced uh to the team, like as a member. And mm-hmm. it's just utterly wild how much of this like 60 year legacy or whatever was introduced yeah. in just this handful of issues. I think that's one of the things about Claremont in general to just becoming one of the biggest X-Men writers and obviously followed by great writers as well. I've heard mm-hmm. very good things about, the new X-Men run from Grant Morrison and the work they did on that. And I just, again, have not been able to wrap my head around enough of this to know where to jump in. I've kind of read bits and pieces. I do believe I read some of Dark Phoenix, if not all of it, but it was a while ago. So I think my plan is to sort of, you know, take this days of future past moment and kind of go back a little bit and work my way through some of the prior storylines just to get a little more of that context and then maybe jump into something a little newer and go from there. But I think starting at the beginning, not always the the best advice, especially given how much time it would take to kind of run through everything chronologically. I mean, I was crazy enough to do that with Stephen King and go through everything chronologically. I think I can only handle one big project like that. <laughs> yeah. And Days of Future Past, too, you were you mentioned themes and sort of just digging in there. And obviously, we mentioned the politics of it all. And, you know, they go and they save Senator Kelly. And then we see Project Wide Awake. Yes. At the very end there. And it kind of just goes to show that no matter what the X-Men would have done, the government was always going to do what the government does. <laughs> that is my favorite thing about it. That is like the number one thing that, uh, though I I liked the film, but like this was adapted into a movie. This was adapted into the animated series. But what everything that has adapted the story missed is the punch of that ending suggesting that maybe this is just always going to happen. Yeah. And the comics have kind of really over time here and there hinted at it a bit too, that maybe no matter what days of future past is the future we are always moving towards very slowly because of like comic book time. Yeah. (laughs) But very recently in the comics, Kitty uh, started going by Kate, Mm -hmm. which is what her older self goes by in days of future past. So it's like the things that are, major to like this storyline like maybe they are always going to happen you know maybe that's just how people are and we should note that it was an absolute 
dystopia in that future. Yes. <laughs> Did not look pretty. <laughs> yes. And uh, this is, though there is a panel that I love where uh, it's almost like uh, Claremont and John Byrne were in completely different places because this is powerful image of uh, Kitty or old, you know, Kate Brad being like uh, walking among these tombstones, and she's all like, "I don't even recognize half of these names, yeah. but all of the tombstones have very specific. Uh, all the tombstones we see have like all these uh, classic X Men and like Fantastic Four names on them. So it's like, oh, the the um, the dialogue or the thought bubble and." the image here like completely at odds with one another (laughs) yeah yeah but nat since you suggested this i want to let you go on whatever deep dive you want to go on next with these issues thank you because i have such a specific deep dive because while this is a classic storyline the main uh reason i honestly picked this is because it introduces one of my favorite villain teams, maybe one of my favorite teams in general, uh, in like all of comics, which is Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I love, I've just always loved this assortment of <laughs> characters. Like on the 90s cartoon, this group was like what I always was kind of hoping to see like if it was an episode with the brotherhood of evil mutants that was gonna be like a great saturday morning pyro in particular is one of my favorite semi-obscure characters like ever i've just always loved uh this character and like the way they're introduced just like bickering inside the pentagon and everything uh it's just delightful to me and i think um they works uh like john byrne does so much with that team in this introduction especially with pyro because when pyro's introduced here you know there have been no small amount of fiery marvel characters Mm -hmm. up to this point and i think what sets him apart just in terms of the art just visually from a character like the Human Torch, is that uh, was the Human Torch the most visually interesting thing? Is the Human Torch, and with Pyro, it's as much as I love his outfit. Uh, it's his imagination. It's everything else. It's everything he creates, and it's such a different fire-based character. Like when you're going back to that well to come up with, it's such a different interpretation of a character like that that i've always enjoyed and there's something just jovial about pyro as a villain and like he's not really a villain in the comics anymore but that is also one of my favorite things about the x-men especially in 2022 is that they don't really have villains anymore especially in the modern like everybody has to live and get along on krakoa era right they kind of have sides from what i had read of that storyline so far but it's not hero villain direct split (laughs) yeah it's not like the days of calling ourselves the brotherhood of evil mutants are really far behind us but pyro just like 
love Scrub because Pyro's whole backstory is that he's a best-selling author, and yet he puts on this yellow, you know, ketchup and mustard-looking outfit, and he just goes off and he does this. He tries to assassinate the president. But yeah, I love that team, and I've been on such a mystique kick lately that I just wanted to include something that uh, I wanted to talk about something that included Mystique, because this is also, Mystique is a major X-Men character. At this yeah. point, I want to say one of the most recognizable. And this storyline kind of marks her transition from being a Captain, or sorry, a Miss Marvel villain to an X-Men villain. Yeah, there was a moment in this with Mystique that I really loved, and it was when she confronts Professor X, and instead of just outright killing him, like you would think the big bads would want to do, she just paralyzes him and sort of uses him as a hostage. And when you have villains who are willing to think ahead like that, I find them so much more enjoyable. And I think that's why a lot of people want like a Doctor Doom movie, because we love villains that actually challenge the heroes in a way they have not been challenged before necessarily. Because mm-hmm. people love to think of Mystique as this just like loose cannon agent of chaos, which she very much is. It's one of my favorite things about her. But like in this story, like, like she infiltrated the Pentagon. Yeah. Like she is very good at what she does. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like why we see Green Goblin and Doc Ock time and time again in the Spider-Man comics. And sure, we see Rhino a lot, but we all know Rhino's not going to be (laughs) a character who is planning a lot of things out like Green Goblin or Doc Ock. He's just brute force, hard to stop. Mm -hmm. Mystique is kind of like a classic like sitcom archetype. She is the character. She's like that uncle or cousin or something that blows through every now and then. And might not even like not be on your side. Like sometimes might be like taken into the group uh, because she has a lot of family in there. Yeah. But will always betray your trust every single time and will always make everything worse. Look, Mystique is out for herself and no one else. (laughs) But having said that, like another thing that's huge is like I mentioned how many things were introduced or set up in this storyline. And we have, like, right in her introduction to the X-Men, we have a moment with Nightcrawler that sets up something uh, so fundamental to those characters, just immediately starts to set up the arc of uh, the eventual reveal of her being his mother. Yeah. And it's just nuts how that's already packed in there. Like, there's so much going on, and there's so much being threaded out like at the same time it's kind of remarkable yeah sometimes with these older comics that are a little more dense i kind of blow through some of them but with this one i took my time and i was like no i'm gonna read every word i'm gonna look at all the panels and i'm not gonna you know sort of binge my way through this and i think this is just a brilliant comic start to finish even including all of those bonus issues outside of the two issues story arc there. And like we were saying earlier, the fact that it's held up so well 
all of these years later, because you could go back to, you know, read some of the 50s and 60s stuff, and it doesn't really hold up just because of the time period. But this, I feel like, is sort of a sweet spot with certain titles. They just had the perfect creative team. They had these great storylines that utilized the characters well. Like, there isn't anything in this where I kind of felt myself cringing over certain things, which happens definitely with the older stuff from prior decades, for sure. But I guess with the X-Men, it's just a little different because they've always been the outsiders. Yeah, and there's like... This storyline, like, it actually, like, it's very progressive for its time, like, in thematically, like, with the Sentinels and everything, but it was almost, like, way more for uh, its time, because, uh, like, now in the comics, it's very canon and very blunt in the current, like, uh, House of X and Krakoa titles of uh, not only Mystique's relationship with the precognitive mutant destiny but uh they're like their marriage mm-hmm. and that was their relationship their uh explicit romantic relationship was something that uh claremont tried to introduce like from the the very very beginning and they said no so to see that that wanted to be canon immediately and finally got to become canon later on is is kind of neat too yeah i mean getting to read this was great it was long overdue for me but nat do you have anything else you want to mention about days of future past before we do a little dracula talk just touching on like that whole collection of issues as much as you had these great uh things going on i just absolutely love that weird doctor strange detour to hell uh, issue in the middle there and um i also i love the juxtaposition between young kitty and old kate and having kitty going through like when we have that introduction having her going through the danger room and it's all like new to her and then immediately flashing back having her older self and her younger body be like oh the danger room how quaint yeah it's a fun one yeah uh, th- that's pretty much it for for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will move on to the Uncanny X-Men number 159 now, which is Night Screams. And you suggested this because, again, we love horror. And this is a fun Dracula storyline. And it mm-hmm. features a lot of the same X-Men we just saw. You have Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, Kitty in this. And you have the addition of this taking place Largely in Misty Knight's apartment, even though she's not there and it's just her model roommate who is there. Because at first, when I was like, oh, they're going to see Misty, this will be like a cool team up thing. And then that's not what it is. But instead, we get this fun Dracula story where Storm is attacked while she's out and taken to the hospital. And you have the doctors not really knowing what to do because. They think the injury is much worse than it is, and because she's a mutant, her blood type isn't the same as, you know, an average person's. And the fact that they just take Dracula and put him in Belvedere Castle in Central Park, I just loved it so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I really want to talk about this one. This is one I read for the first time, like, a couple years ago, because as much as I've been an X-Men kid all my life, I haven't read 
everything. And I've it's so hard. Made peace There's with so the much. Fact that I never will. There's just too much of it out there. But uh, I think Ryan Larson turned me onto this issue for the first time, and you know, I've like I've loved the X Men since I was very very young, and I've loved Dracula since I was very very young. They're two of my like most vital fundamental interests and they've merged a lot over the years but Mm -hmm. this is absolutely my favorite of them because dracula is in some cases like in all its incarnations one of if not like my very favorite stories ever told and there are a lot you know dracula is a character in the marvel universe there are a lot of uh stories featuring him but Mm -hmm. this isn't an x-men story with dracula in it this is like a adaptation of dracula casting the x-men and that's what i love about it that is the perfect description for this because it very much felt more like a dracula story than an x-men story and it just sort of happened to feature them and like you were saying there's old monster comics from marvel that feature a lot of familiar horror faces and Dracula is one of them. I haven't read a ton of those comics just yet. It was something that I honestly didn't know about until semi-recently. I was just going through every series that they have on Marvel Unlimited because I was looking for video ideas and I was like, okay, what are some short things that I could also just dive into, you know, like six to 12 issue miniseries or something. And I was discovering a lot of these, you know, (laughs) monster stories. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I have lots of work to do here. And obviously, you know, Marvel Unlimited, I think now has over 25,000 comics. And I don't think I can be that guy who read every single Marvel comic and wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to pick and choose my battles here. <laughs> and like right now I'm reading through Nightwing, the most recent one, which is on like issue 93 or something. So that's taking me a little while to get through. And then I'm planning to dive back into some Marvel stuff. And, you know, finding stuff like this that you can just read as a one-off is really fun because you didn't need any context really for this issue at all. It was very much a standalone thing. And I don't necessarily mean standalone as in filler. This was a very fun story. And I don't really know how it fits into the context of everything else because I didn't read the immediate issues before or after. But sometimes it's nice to just have something like this in between storylines because you don't have to have, like you were saying earlier, a Dark Phoenix rolling right into Days of Future Past every single time, you do want to get some, you know, fun little side stories every once in a while just to get to know these characters a little better. And this is a great look at how strong mentally Storm is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a totally self-contained issue. And uh, I really I really love that about it because, you know, again, it's, it's telling a different, a very specific kind of story on its own without, you know, certainly within the world of the X-Men, but without any explicit ties to anything that came like directly before or setting up anything that comes like directly after. Yeah. And it's just refreshing to get that every once in a while, because a lot of my issues with Marvel come when they do these 
big grand events and you have something like Civil War, which has its own title, but then it's also tying into 15 or 20 other titles. So if you're reading through those, you suddenly just get a random event story in the middle of this character's other storyline. And stuff like that drives me crazy. But stuff like this, I think, is just a perfect little break from the big picture, if you will, because a lot of these big events and these big storylines that bring in other characters are just sometimes too much. And, you know, Days of Future Past is kind of the perfect example of that, too, where, you know, it's contained enough. Yeah, sure, the Hulk appears and a few other characters that you don't necessarily see all the time, but you have to have those little appearances. And the Hulk showing up wasn't like, oh boy, here come the rest of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I also, you know, this issue jumped out at me because it was like X-Men comic, horror comic. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, pick an X-Men horror comic and here's the one I love the most. Uh, but yeah, you know, like we've touched on, like I said, like this is um, casting Dracula with the X-Men, but my favorite thing about it is the way it kind of fills those uh kind of dracula archetypes so it's like well you look at like okay we've cast dracula with the x-men but like who's who so it's like okay storm being like the most powerful but also you know by many like the most desired x-men or whatever it's like she's uh mina and Dracula's kind of fixing his gaze on her. But my favorite mm-hmm. thing is that you would think, and it kind of seems that way early on, that Wolverine being the guy who's been everywhere, seen everything, done everything, you think he's going to be the Van Helsing yeah. of this story. And it's actually Kitty. And that's my favorite part. Yeah. And at this point in time, she's still a relatively new character. It's only been about 20 issues since her introduction and i can't speak to if she appears in every single issue between 143 and 159 but the fact that she's the one who gets through to storm i really really enjoyed that because honestly not wolverine's forte (laughs) yeah and i it really starts to cement a bond between uh kitty and storm like something just really nice between those two characters and I also just, oh my god, I love the moment where Kitty holds the uh, cross up to Dracula, does nothing, <laughs> and he gets so cocky, and he's just like, ha, you know, you got no face, like you can't do anything to me, yeah. and he goes for her throat and is burned by her star of David, and uh, I love that, just introducing that concept. Uh, to vampires, I love virtually everything about that scene, especially how arrogant Dracula gets for one second before he gets burned. It's so good. Yeah. Oh my god, that moment just uh, sends me. That's one of my favorite parts, absolutely, in addition to the, the sheer wonkiness of Storm becoming a vampire. Yeah. They have fun with it. That is for sure in this. And I think one of my favorite things is that with the X-Men, it really feels like 
you can do a lot more horror stuff. Like if you think of Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler feels like an X-Men character who came straight out of some horror sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. His intro, like his very first scene in comics ever is him like crawling along this rained out abbey in Germany as he's being chased by a mob with pitchforks and torches. So like there absolutely is kind of a universal monster's quality to him. And I think that juxtaposition that X-Men has always been great at, like, you know, Beast looks like an animal but is uh, insanely smart. We have Nightcrawler who looks like a demon but is uh, a man of uh, intense faith. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about where Marvel sort of started with things like Strange Tales, it makes perfect sense that this was sort of the progression. It's like, yes, they really dug into the superhero genre, but a lot of stuff from the early days, you know, and this goes for Marvel and DC, there was a lot of horror stuff. You have what House of Secrets, House of Mysteries over at DC. And then you have, like I said, Strange Tales and Dracula's in a bunch of comics. So it just makes sense that some of these characters go hand in hand. And I think this was a great use of Dracula and the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I also love the way um, the art kind of changes to reflect that too. The art kind of gets more moody mm-hmm. and gothic and feels more like even visually, like this is more of a Dracula thing, uh, like very classically so. And I eat that stuff up, so I really loved that. Oh, absolutely. And I am so glad you mentioned this one because I had absolutely no clue it existed. And I know you're big on finding, you know, the Friday the 13th comics, Jason comics, and a bunch of these big horror franchise comics, especially Puppet Master, which we've talked about on the podcast before. And to find these things existing within, you know, the Marvel universe, it's, it's just really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about uh, Nightcrawler again, like there's another moment again involving a cross that I love, where because this it like every vampire story, this sets up its kind of inherent own vampire mythology, where Claremont really doubles down on the thing where like the cross doesn't work if the faith doesn't work, and so for Wolverine it does nothing because. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be a shock to anyone, really. Yeah. But then Nightcrawler takes his like two sticks together, and like his faith is so strong. And I think that might be one of the first instances of uh, his faith becoming such a defining part of the character. But like knowing that about Nightcrawler, it's really neat to see it kind of him kind of have that moment of saving the day in in that kind of way. So that's another part I really really love as well. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of wraps up everything I have to say on these comics. Do you have any final thoughts? I just like loved the sheer existence of this particular issue yeah. and wanted to talk about it for sure. Uh, one th- other thing, like as a last thought I'd add is I absolutely love that Dracula just essentially lets Storm go because he respects her too much. Yeah. <laughs> What a king. (laughs) 
It's great. But Nat, do you have any other comics or anything in general that you would like to recommend? If you haven't read these issues we just talked about, please read those. But uh, I just, uh, in my X-Men kick I've been on recently, I read the, I think, very short, like two, three issue, 2008 storyline Wolverine Get Mystique arc by Jason Aaron. And uh, that I loved. It's just kind of this very short, very self-contained over course of a couple issues uh, storyline of just Wolverine hunting Mystique and Mystique, uh, you know, getting away, slipping out of his fingers every chance she gets the chess game between them and the flashbacks to kind of their history together all uh, really entertaining. That's absolutely kind of the recommendation on my mind at the moment. Yeah, since I haven't read nearly as much X-Men as you, I'm going to go outside of Marvel and recommend Outcast, which is a comic by Robert Kirkman. And I've only read the first couple trades, but I just bought the rest recently. And I've been on a horror comic buying kick lately. <laughs> Reading them is another story. But, you know, it's just this fun horror story that I think, you know, given the title Outcast, it kind of does fit in with the X-Men a little bit. But, you know, don't expect too many crazy superpowers or anything in it. Mm -hmm. So, Nat, thank you so much for suggesting these and for joining me to talk about them. I know this podcast is wrapping up semi soon here. So I wanted to at least get one more X-Men episode because I think even though I have covered like almost all of the MCU movies up until I think Black Widow was the last one I did and I kind of dropped off of them, I didn't do quite as many X-Men movies as I thought I would have for this podcast. So I'm thrilled to at least talk about some more X-Men comics. Mm -hmm. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. I was very, very happy to do this and uh, get to just gush about X-Men a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure I will have lots of X-Men questions for you after this. <laughs> okay. Okay.